welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful Final Fantasy Ten Two edition of Normandy FM. I'm here as always, one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, alongside Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing? Eric, if I may, mm-hmm. give a give a quick dramatic reading. <clears throat> I know that you're hiding things, using gentle words to shelter me. Your words were like a dream. But dreams could never fool me. Not that easily. That's as much as I'm going to put you through. I thought you were going to do a dramatic reading of the texts you sent me. While, you know, I thought about that. I disappeared. I mean, we can do, we can still do that. There's still time. Oh my god. Uh, for for those at home, uh, I forgot the the time that we were supposed to be recording this. Uh, and so I was taking a nap with my cat while my phone was on silent, and Ken was very concerned for my well-being in in that gap of let's say twenty minutes uh, between me noticing my phone and uh, and and when we were supposed to be recording this. And uh, he was also concerned because we might have been wasting our guest's time here in the process because we have a guest today. The one, the only Jenny is back here to talk about Fall Fantasy Ten Two. Jenny, how you doing? Oh, yay. I'm so great. And it really, it was no trouble. I was just like sitting and eagerly just thinking about what we'll, what we're going to chat about today. So it was just more time for me to get excited. Mm-hmm. It's an extra blog of time to rewatch this cutscene multiple times uh, yes. on YouTube, if we can find it. Because Square Enix apparently does not allow for uh, sharing and recording of this particular cutscene. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, we had multiple of those come up mm-hmm. this this playtime mm-hmm. of Square being like, "Hey, hey, no licensed music gets out of this game." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Jenny, we had you on for the ten season. We've got you back for the ten two season. We've already heard a little bit of your Final Fantasy experience. Tell us about ten two. What is it about ten two that that you like? Where do I where do I even begin, really? <laughs> um, I as a as a kid, I played ten and I loved it so much. And Yuna as a character really drove a lot of that for me. And so as soon as I heard that ten two was happening, like I knew it was going to be a day one purchase for me. I was just like, I knew this was a game that I had to play. And then the more I found out about it, and when as a kid I actually played it like with the dress spheres, with like the direct ties to magical girl transformations Mm -hmm. and a job system. And the fact that it's funny and it's just a team of women just Mm -hmm. going around Spira and doing their thing. Like as, as a young woman playing games, I had never experienced that. And it's so cheesy, but it's true where it's like, oh my gosh, I see myself Mm -hmm. in this game. I see my friends in this game. And it's... It's a world that I already love and have imagined myself and wrote fin- fi- fan fiction about, you know, <laughs> yeah, being in. And yeah. now I really can see myself in here. And I just, you know, I always feel a little sad that folks really forget about this game. Or when they do remember, it's often tossed aside mm-hmm. a little bit. And mm-hmm. because while there are, there are some legitimate critiques, um, but I personally don't think that they're strong enough to, like, throw this game away that, in the way that it has been. I think by the overall mm-hmm. Final Fantasy community, because um, yeah, it's still it's so fun and so good. Yeah, it it does. I, I was talking with 
some people about this earlier this week, actually, that it does kind of feel like Ten Two gets tossed to the side because of its focus on, oh, it's a group of pals. They're kind of hanging out, doing things. You know, they're throwing a concert in in our particular case for this episode, and that feels a little bit less like Ten in the way that it's like, oh, it's this very serious quest uh, with you know a great thing to do at the end, but I really find the more I play 10-2, I'm, I'm liking it for that because it's a different vibe, because it's a different um, situation, and because it's not just the same sort of fantasy quest over again, but you get to really explore the friendship of these three girls and the journey that they go on to find all these things and still end up saving Spira in the process. Uh, so it's it's cool, it's enjoyable, and it, it should be celebrated as one of Final Fantasy's interesting games. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite dress sphere? Ooh, that's a good question. Oh, um, I think, well, I guess I have two, kind of, that, that are sort of a toss-up between the two. One is definitely, like, better, I think, than the other. Or at least generally more highly regarded. Um, I think my like legitimate favorite is Lady Luck, mm-hmm. just because it's like it's such a fun, fun dress sphere, and like the high risk, high reward is just really great. I think the outfits are cute, you know. It's just like mm-hmm. a really fun play on like the gambler kind of job system and class that we've seen in in other Final Fantasy games. Um, not nearly as as good or really innovative at all but for some reason i've gravitated toward it a lot this playthrough is the festival dressed mm-hmm. sphere really <laughs> because i think it just captures a lot of the like sort of nonsense and fun of right. the whole thing mm-hmm. and you know it's not the best but you know this it's got you can heal with it you know you can you can get a wide range of enemies attacked with it and i honestly just riku like dropping goldfish mm-hmm. to the ground and just like sending a pack of them to to your enemies is just it kind of cracks me up every time so mm-hmm. not technically the best dress sphere but i think really fun and like kind of embodies the spirit right. of the game for sure heck yeah that's that's what i like is those interesting dress spheres that that feel a bit out of the norm and are feel unique to this game you know mm-hmm. you have plenty of ones that are you know your white mage your black mage that sort of thing but then you you get into stuff like trainer and uh mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't think we're gonna get the mascot one because i think the requirements to get mascot are a little heavy but uh that one has always interested me as well just like very different very unique play styles mm-hmm. that uh I mean, Alchemist is basically canonized mm. go-to healer class at this point, mm-hmm. and that's pretty different from your normal Alchemist slash Chemist class in, in stuff like Tactics. So it's it's also, um, on top of being an interesting story, an interesting narrative, it's also probably one of the more interesting job systems that this series has had since like Final Fantasy V, and mm-hmm. it's it's really cool and interesting for that. Yeah, I've realized, like, because when I played this um, as a kid, I really just stuck to the traditional <laughs> stuff. I was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I'll play Warrior until I get Samurai, until I get Dark Knight. And then, you know, like, I I had a white mage and I had a black mage. And I didn't really divest from that, like, standard. Right. Mm-hmm. And one thing I wanted to do when I played this time around was actually try to experiment more with the dress spheres mm-hmm. and actually move around the grids because I 
typically will find what I like and stick with it right. and not like use the garment grids really. Uh, and so that's something I've been playing with this time around, which has been really fun. Mm. Uh, and, and just trying to find like the different synergies um, for the spheres right. and like what you can really do with the battles. Yeah, well, we were talking about like an episode or two ago. Like, I feel like you know, for a lot of people, it is very easy to kind of get like stuck in a rut of like the things that you start out with and mm-hmm. not really deviate. Because I think like ultimately, the game doesn't necessarily require that experimentation. It just allows for it a lot. And so I think mm-hmm. a lot of that has to kind of be self-imposed. Like you have to be like, okay, I've gotten this dress for sphere three or so chapters later than you know everything else that I've been spending all this time investing experience into and you know learning all these new abilities to like really hone in on a play style. And I think you know. That is a big ask, I think, to ask the player, like, hey, we're going to give you stuff very late in the game, and it's there if you want it, but you don't have to, you know, actually go out of your way to level up these things and really specialize in them. But I think, like, it is very rewarding in that way, just because, like, even, you know, a lot of these things that you get later in the game are the more experimental they are, the more things that you can kind of, like, find interesting ways and synergies, like you said, to with other things that are in the game. And I appreciate that about it. And I feel like, you know, to some extent, I've kind of, stuck with a lot of the stuff that I did back in the day but I think like the alchemist stuff especially that we've been Eric and I've been talking about throughout the season is kind of like really like leaning into a class that I kind of never really bothered with before and finding out the way that it is actually better than things that I used to because like you know I stuck with white mage for healing Mm -hmm. for so long but now I'm like actually investing you know time and experience into the alchemist and now I'm like oh this is more efficient in ways and actually works best Mm -hmm. when used Mm -hmm. kind of in tandem with the white mage as well. Yeah, I, I think the dress spheres and, and those systems are really, really interesting. And sadly, we don't really get to mess with them too much in Chapter <laughs> 4. So I'm glad we, we talked about them early on. Because uh, as far as Chapter 4 goes, not really... I mean, it's short. It's mm-hmm. we're, we're covering it in one episode. And even then, I feel like it's, it's slim content-wise, which is a bit of a departure considering we're coming off what is probably one of the longer chapters in the game in chapter three mm-hmm. and then heading into another bulky chapter in chapter five. But four is just kind of the, we're going to address all the plot that we absolutely 100% need to address <laughs> in one section. Uh, so we can get everybody on the same page and kind of set up what the conclusion of this narrative is going to be. It, it felt to me like the, <laughs> The designer said, okay, our open world approach, this sort of shotgun blast of Final Fantasy X-2 story is cool and all, but at some point we need to funnel everyone into one storyline so that way we can make sure that they get the the meat and potatoes of this Mm -hmm. story Mm -hmm. and we can move on to the next one. Did you feel the same way, Ken? Yeah, and I think it it works to its favor because, like, you know, we all the story missions at some, like, they kind of... They don't necessarily feel like detours, but they do feel like they are dragging you like back into it after you've gone out and done all these various. And then it kind of, in a way, well, except for this chapter, I guess. But like, they, that's when it gets more like I guess more standard Final Fantasy X sequel that I think people might have been expecting from this game. Like you know, like okay, we're gonna like really make you sit with you know these epic battles of you know you know fighting the Dark Aeons and things of that nature, and you know really like kind of bringing it back for a bit because like you know we've done so many weird random things in the more open nature of this game that. You know, it's been fun. It's been a lot of chances for the game to experiment. But, uh, yeah, at some point it does have to kind of, like, bring us back down to earth and, like, talk about, like, why we're here, what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Jenny, how did you feel about the the open-world structure up to this point? And, and how do you feel about Chapter 4 kind of, like, slimming all that down for a moment? 
Um, it's interesting because I remember the, the very first time I played, because the open world structure is, this is the first time it was showed up in a Final mm. Fantasy, at least that I know of. And um, I remember as a kid playing, not visiting anything really but the hotspots, because right. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. hotspots, mm-hmm. I got to go there first. Yeah. And missing like half the game. Right. <laughs> um, and so it's been really fun revisiting and going to every single space and like having that like episodic like true episodic adventure and um i i really like the format actually it it makes it feel especially as an adult right now bite-sized and easy to actually dive into Mm -hmm. an rpg Mm -hmm. with this kind of structure um this like sort of semi-open world uh thing that they got going but yeah you definitely feel the designers thinking oh (laughs) Right. Wait a second. We we do need everyone not only to get to sort of the same point, but also knowing that a good chunk of players may not have experienced any number of the side quests, mm-hmm. um, I think is a really interesting challenge. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit clunky how it's done, but I think they do a pretty good job of getting everyone like into the same spot by the time this this chapter four starts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the narrative reason why we're doing this, why Mm -hmm. we're funneling everything into one area. And so obviously after the end of chapter three, we've come up from the the far plane uh, and have recovered, come back to the Celsius after being guided out by the ghost of him and all that. Um, Everyone's freaking out. Apparently they were chucking con spheres down into the hole to try and uh, reach Yuna, which I think is very funny. Like the idea of throwing a cell phone into a hole <laughs> to be like, pick it up, pick it up. FaceTime us. <laughs> um, but uh, we we informed them about what happened with uh, with all the, the fellas down there, the, the three pals, and then uh, Shuyin and uh len and this is where shinra reveals oh yeah the girl from the songstress dress sphere (laughs) which once again ken this is why i don't like shinra (laughs) this is why i think shinra is a jerk uh we'll learn more firmly about len later on but this is where we do uh learn that yes len is somewhat within this dress sphere in a way um, the spirit of Len is somehow in here. And that was why Shu Yin perceived Yuna in that way. But Shu Yin, as this sort of far plane ghost, wants to use Vagnagun to vaporize everybody before, uh, because things are just going to keep going bad. And so this is where we kind of have a moment where people are like, hey, we should just let Nuge and Gipple handle this. They've got it. They've got it taken care of. Um, <laughs> Riku does stop and ask us if Shoyin was anything like Titus. And, and Yuna's like, eh, just his face. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, we go find pain because obviously Gipple and Nuge gave us the, the spheres, the crimson spheres uh, that, that uh, they wanted to, to give to pain. And pain finally fills us in on what happened with her and those three. Uh, so we have, they were all candidates for the Crimson Squad, which explains why they're Crimson Spheres. And pain was the recorder assigned to the team. Uh, the squad was supposed to be an elite fighting force, but there was a problem that ended in a lot of deaths and dissolution of the squad and she wants to know why it happened so she 
join the gold wings to find uh records of those events uh and then riku comes up is like hey what you talking about pain's like never mind (laughs) peace (laughs) um but yeah she that that kind of fills in the who is pain part of this story that i know a lot of people whenever they see final fantasy 10 they're like who's pain why did they add mm-hmm. pain why isn't lulu here mm-hmm. so now we kind of have an idea of why pain is here that she has ties to barely and gipple and nuge and and the crimson squad and the story that kind of ties them all together i still do feel myself wondering is like is having someone on the gold wings be part of that squad super necessary for the story being told probably not but i do like pain as a character so this whole scene i was like okay cool you you gave us like a story reason for why pain is so heavily involved with the gold wings and and with all this stuff and and you kind of put a little thing on pain to say like this this person is very story important and that's why we chose to have pain here but I was already at the point where I didn't really care that, you know, that it was pain and not somebody else. So I don't know if I needed justification, if that makes sense. Um, It was just nice to have, I guess. Can you add some thoughts? I I think for me, like, I I like the way that it ties everyone to this team through the act of fear hunting specifically. Because, like, Mm. that's Mm -hmm. kind of a larger thing that's happening in this game. It's like people want to know more. Like, broadly, people want to know about their history. And that's why they want to seek out spheres. Because, like, we are now looking into a past of a world that we have, you know, up until this point been told not to look into. And, you know, Yevon mm-hmm. told us all the things we needed to know about the future. And I think, and, and it, it comes into the question that Riku is about to ask Yuna and Payne at this point, like, that it would bring these three specific people together because they want to find out the future as well, but they want to find it for their very own personal reasons. And um, so, like, when it gets to, you know, through this conversation, Riku asks if Yuna and Payne are going to, like, stay here in the Gold Ring so, like, they know... Like, you know, through meeting Shuyan, has no reason to believe that she's going to find Titus at the end of this. And Pain, through, you know, finding these crimson spheres and kind of, like, finding her way back to, like, back into the circle, like, of those three, is kind of, like, finding more about this past and kind of, like, you know, they, they, they feel like, one way or another, they have reached the end point of what they can accomplish as sphere hunters. So, Rick is yeah. like, is the Gold Wings going to disband now? Like, are we... How we reached as far as we're going. like is this the natural conclusion of what we're doing, and you know, and we'll get to like their answers to that and like what they want to do in the meantime shortly. But I at least found that compelling. It's just kind of like an extension of both, you know, like both the characters Yuna and Pain, but also like of the world of Spira and like what times changing has required of them, and also like what interests them about this particular pursuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this idea. <clears throat> excuse me of of just like what what do you do you know the, the question of memories and the past comes up so much mm-hmm. and especially when you're building something new it's like what do you do with this the old stuff what do you do with the remnants of what you had and we see it throughout like I think it was in was it chapter two when you meet Becklam and mm-hmm. He just kind of straight up is like, summoners are obsolete. Like, right. why should I treat Yuna different? Because that's, that's the past. That's not relevant anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and e- even, you know, with, with Yuna and, or just as a society, actually, not even with Yuna, with a society of figuring out how to rebuild Spira and like, how do you acknowledge and reconcile what's happened with Yevin and use that or not to build a new society? And 
you see just like this idea of the past and how how much of it do you bury how much do you set aside to remember how much do you just like yeah how much do you keep Mm -hmm. if you keep any of it and i think it's really interesting at this point we're seeing that not only on a societal level but personally with yuna and pain and and all the characters that we've interacted with so far yeah i mean like pain straight up says here like maybe it's time for both of us to let the past go and Mm -hmm. then yuna has like the monologue if like why be a sphere hunter if one i'm hunting for can ever be found and it's like yeah both of them i think that's you know that, that's kind of been, like, the struggle of this game, largely, like, New Yevon and the Youth League trying to, like, uncover the past for, and, you know, like, that is kind of, like, the question is, like, is that, like, futile in its, in its own way? Mm-hmm. I mean, Vegnagun itself is just a giant manifestation of old hate and, mm-hmm. and a war mm-hmm. that, as, you know, you know, later on in this episode... pretty plainly lays out like we are looking to just repeat history after destroying sin which was you know the result of an age-old war and now we're digging up more weapons from an age-old war to keep creating problems and spirit needs to heal its wounds it can't just bandage over the top of them and uh you know in unearthing all this stuff in the past i think there is an effort to try and make sense of it and make right of it but also we're, we're at the point where the goal wings in particular and a lot of other characters are starting to learn that maybe they need to start forging a different future for spira rather than just keep digging through the past and repeating it mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. that is that is pretty compelling uh i also like that we get a tease that pain has known albed all along mm-hmm. <laughs> because pain yeah. replies to brother in all bed here uh, which is very very fun and a good reveal <laughs> there are like a pain. lot of really good like comedic moments in this in this chapter yeah 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 this this is definitely the chapter where i was reminded that this game is is very campy and fun and mm-hmm. in a way that final fantasy is not all the time uh mm-hmm. and is very good um so at this point, you know, we've resolved that we're going to to do something, but we'll put that on hold for a moment because the comm spheres are online. <laughs> so, boy, let's talk about the comm spheres. Okay. <laughs> uh, something that gets brought up in chapter three. Shinra's like, "Hey, I'm going to start putting these comm spheres down all over Spira. Every time y'all head to a new location, I'll run out of the ship real quick." plop one down uh so we we spent the last two entries talking about him running out and putting these things down now we have to start using them because there's a bunch of scenes in which we have to interact with these basically like camera telephones uh mm-hmm. and kind of facetime with various denizens of spira to get completion percentage uh and i really do feel like for people who are trying to get their 100% completion, this is the breaking point for many of them because I know from from our experiences as people who are not trying to 100%, but uh, trying to do a pretty fairly high percentage completion, there were just scenes I was not getting. Mm. <laughs> there were just scenes I did not receive. And no real indication on what order they were going to come in or what manner they were going to come in or what triggers them because some of them you have to focus on certain things for a while or you have to wait for a while for something to show up there was one that i had when ken was watching me play where 
uh, I had a youth league one where nobody was showing up, and mm. I probably would have just moved on, but I just tried it again and then got the scene that I was supposed to get. Right. So mm. sometimes you just have to cycle the camera a few times. Very, very frustrating. Mm. Uh, and this is functionally, mechanically, the moment where I'm like, wow, getting 100% in this game feels just arduous. Mm. <laughs> feels <laughs> like... I, I think I said this uh, maybe on God recently, but I was looking at those requirements and going, Yuna, I don't know if he's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Yuna, you're great. You might be able to do better. I don't think anyone's worth 100% in this game. <laughs> so maybe that is the message that comes across in the end here is this is the worth of true love. Find somebody who you would 100% Final Fantasy 10-2 for because good God. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I I really love a lot of the scenes in this. I just wish it was as simple as like going down a menu and like they automatically begin as soon as you open up. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Because... It's, it can be as finicky as just like looking at like a specific point in the camera when something's happening and if you miss it or like you're, you don't know exactly where you need to be looking there's no way for you to know and like you know that's one of the things where like a lot of this stuff feels like made for a second playthrough or a guide or something like that and it's just like mm-hmm. that's interesting in premise but just like the execution of it like it just feels like start them as soon as the, as the camera boots up like you don't need to have it be this particular about what the player needs to be looking at at any given moment mm-hmm yeah and the the loading times mm-hmm. is what got me because i didn't necessarily you know i didn't like having to s- sleuth out right. <laughs> scenes in a lot of the cases but you know i, I could have been fine with that if the loading time in between mm-hmm. also wasn't so long because right. I, I think it took me for sure at least an hour yeah. plus that right. <laughs> uh, to get through what I think are a majority of the scenes. I, I don't think I completed right. all of them oh, either. I don't think any of us did. <laughs> like there, there was a point where I was like, I'm just going to resolve to watch these on YouTube later. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what happened. So uh, I'll also say that a lot of these are definitely not major story scenes. There are a few that are interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and to be fair, I did think... A good number of them were fun to watch and and had mm-hmm. interesting content, but this goes back to what I said earlier of like narratively, yes, I like these ideas, but structurally, mechanically, right. like the way this thing is put together is very it it reminds me of what Ten Two is, which is a game that is trying to build interesting concepts onto the framework of a game that has already been made. And so in that mm-hmm. respect, like, I do empathize with the the construction of this game and how everything was put together. Um, even the way this menu is laid out is very reminiscent of your fast travel menu, your airship menu. And so I was thinking to myself, they probably just tried to use a very similar layout because that would make it easiest to uh, quickly access all these scenes. And players might be familiar with that, so they'd know how to use it. Uh, And I think there's a lot of just experimentation and ambition in this sort of mechanic, but it is by, like, Mm -hmm. modern standards. When you look at it, you go, oh, nowadays we know how much easier it would be if you just did this instead, or if you organized it this way, or if you laid it out so you could view each scene and maybe not each 
camera. Uh, But that might also detract from the thing they were trying to do, which was give you this feeling of being able to pop around Spira using the Conospheres. Because as somebody later on in this episode says, this sort of technology could revolutionize Spira. It could completely change Mm -hmm. the world. Uh, It is literally like FaceTime phones that you can set up all over Spira. so it is cool. It's interesting. But let's let's run down some of the big highlights. Um, obviously, one of the big highlights of our Comsphere run, the first one, by the <laughs> way, because we do a second bout of them, too. Um, the first one uh, is Bitsaid, where we talk to Waka, and Waka is just, you know, trying to get this whole dad thing under control. Uh, he is literally sprinting around the island uh, <laughs> trying to get himself under control. Uh, but he also has one where he sits down and, and talks with us. And it's just kind of like, hey, yeah, you know, we're, we're getting everything uh, back to normal after all the fiend temple chaos and all that. You know, things are going well. We're just trying to, to keep things going. And, and I want to be good for Lulu. So that's what I'm doing. Um, not really a major one, just a nice one. It's good to have some Waka in this game when we get a chance to. Um, Donna walks us around Kilika, uh, says Nuge disappearing has thrown the port into disarray. Um, they're looking for a new leader, and everyone has asked Donna, but Donna, obviously, uh, you know, former summoner who eventually decided to stop traveling the path and, and, and give it up. Um, she's too busy looking after herself to be there for everyone. So kind of an interesting parallel to Yuna mm-hmm. and the way Yuna is dealing with things, taking on a lot of problems for other people. Uh, I think at one point uh, Shinra makes a comment during these comm spheres where he says, Yuna, hero, summoner, doormat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like just cackled when that came up. Um Yibel greets us on the Mushroom Road Rocks Mushroom Rock Road Sphere and uh, says they've they've heard New Yevon's gonna attack and they're gonna make preparations to attack first. But they don't even really know anything. They're just he, Yibel's eager. Yibel mm-hmm. wants to go to war. Um, mm-hmm. And Maroda shows up on the Bevel Sphere. And says he's running recon for New Yevon. Was caught by priests, but basically feels like they're kind of at each other's throats right. at this point. They're right? ready to go. Like, yeah, people yeah. are eager for any reason to to go to war with each other uh, Which I think, at this like, point. I think that particular thread is just, like a, one of the best uses of the Comsphere stuff because like, I think, you know, we spend a lot of time on the ship and the chapter and so like I think you need to have some means of like really illustrating how bad things are getting because like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the youth league's getting ready for a, a battle that's not even going to happen. Like it's not, not even in the works which would, you know, basically they'd be striking first and mm-hmm. The only way that we know that is because we are, you know, we have this kind of like omnipresent uh, sort of role right now where we can talk to everybody in Spira from the comforts of our ship. And so that was, I think, you know, despite all our misgivings about the way that it's maybe integrated mechanically, like I think it's, it is helping to illustrate something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the idea that it is showing what the comm spheres could do for just... Uh, allowing people to talk things out and talk mm-hmm. to each other instead of just assuming that everyone has it out for them and that sort of thing. I like the idea that the comm spheres are being shown as this way that that could happen. Mm-hmm. That with Yuna as the kind of mediator, which we eventually uh, will become, uh, 
you know, we can start to settle differences through talking and discussing and reaching out to each other rather than just uh, closing up inside wherever we have located ourselves. Um, there's also a lot of different just fun Sphere bits. There mm. are a whole bunch of hot springs that you can have happen yeah. uh, depending on whether you have cleared certain marks in the story. I think I only got one or two, uh, but there are ones with like um, Lucille and uh, oh, I forgot her name. The <laughs> um, Emma. Okay, um, I um, I keep yeah. wanting to call them Peppermint Patty and. <clears throat> Uh, and the other character, Marcy, from Peanuts, because that is who they remind me of. They are Peppermint Patty and Marcy, like straight up. But <laughs> that is not Lucille and Emma. Um, we can have one with them. We can have one with uh, Sid, Rin, and uh, the Beacon L Desert Albed leader. Um, they're, they're just a bunch of different ones, and they all kind of serve a purpose of just oh, let's have some more fun with all these characters hanging out, enjoying time in the hot springs. Uh, the one thing I enjoyed from the one I did see, which was, I believe, Garrick Ronso, just kind of hanging out in the hot springs and kind of being like, uh, maybe maybe sitting in the hot springs will melt away my mm. anger and things like that. Mm. Um, once again, much like the episode we had previously with the hot springs segment, uh the game doesn't really seem interested in making this into sort of a peeping Tom mm -hmm. sort of situation. It is more like, let's just have these characters together and relaxed and hanging out and talking about the world in a way that feels, you know, fun and lighthearted and not skeevy and creepy in the ways that Hot Springs uh, segments in, say, anime have traditionally mm -hmm. been in the past. <laughs> And I like that. I, I think that's cool. And that's another like big tonal difference for this game is that it doesn't feel particularly interested in that side of things. It's more interested in these characters hanging out with each other, enjoying each other's company and, and having a good time and not just being this weird, like for the fans, uh, creep fest that hot springs segments. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, in anime, but even in RPGs as recent as like tales of our eyes have been, uh, these sorts of like weird skeevy moments. Mm -hmm. So, shout outs, shout outs to, mm -hmm. to Square for that. Um, the other one I wanted to mention was the like mystery that we solve on the Mian High oh, right. Road. Oh yeah. Um, oh, you have this in the the second section of of your Comsphere notes. Um, but this is such a weird segment where. We just kind of jet around the the high road and talk to not even talk to different people. We like tell Rin to go investigate different things on the high road, mm -hmm. and he's just like, "I'll go check it out." And then he's it's something completely unrelated, and he's like, "Hmm, there's footprints here. Good job, you know." I'm just playing this and I'm like, how did anyone figure this out the first time around and, and get this done? Because there are times where you have to wait for somebody to show up or you have to watch for something to happen or you have to time it right. And I'm just like, oh my God, how do you, how do you do this? And I, as far as we know so far, this will eventually lead to something else in chapter five. I'm not quite sure what that is. I do not know what the result of this will end up being, but... What a weird, fun way to use this comm sphere setup to kind of 
put different perspectives all along the high road and then have <laughs> just weird mechanics for maybe we could do a mystery inside mm-hmm. this setup like what a what a weird game Tentu is <laughs> just... it always breaks up the monotony of watching these scenes yeah so. yeah yeah I did like though the, I think one thing that I found interesting on this playthrough is I thought a lot more about like saviorism and mm. this idea of what happens when you have a culture of saviorism mm. and and that changes basically because you know spirit is used to looking to summoners and a summoner to save them and then we're in this world where right now that is not the case anymore and they have to figure mm-hmm. out again they're doing things like putting in multiple different power structures seeing which one sticks seeing what leaders will rise up and so it's interesting to take the time to like see that human effect of it mm-hmm. and sort of on the daily life with the calm spheres like how are people actually living in spirit right now and like you said i think it's nice because it is light-hearted in a lot of ways like you know besaid you see the kids playing you have that one scene with the dog that i it's just like the dog that's its head is right there mm-hmm. and you're like oh it's a puppy cool um and so you have these moments that are like okay things are they're they're not just like st- st- like full of turmoil right. you know things are mm-hmm. happy now but I think also we get these peaks of, you know, people trying to figure out when you don't have like a singular leader or person to look to to solve everything. Like, how do you what do you do? How do you as a community solve things or Mm -hmm. do you put another leader in place and what does that do? And I think this kind of subtly shows how that plays out in in a daily life kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Even, you know. Another one of the Besaid scenes that uh, is really interesting is where we see the Oryx doing uh, Blitzball practice, and they're all psyched up because they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to play Blitzball to make everybody feel better because that was kind of what we did mm-hmm. when Sin was around mm-hmm. was everybody forgot about their worries when we played Blitzball. Uh, and then Beckelum comes in and, and scolds them for not practicing their combat drills. And, you know, that's a more aggressive way of just showing, like, hey, they're different ideas coming in about how we should manage spirit going forward and mm-hmm. um it that's that's one aspect i think we talked about this during the sphere break tournament too that i was interested to see what was going to happen to more of these blitz ball players because blitz doesn't seem to be as important in the modern day and age as it was uh back during the sin times mm-hmm. and i would have liked to have seen that explored a bit more but uh it's, it is interesting to see Beckham, especially as this character that I think represents a lot of that that changing idea of who's going to save us when we don't require this summoner martyr uh, to to save us over and over again. Mm-hmm. And Beckham is one of those characters that steps up, um, right. much like Yibel, uh in the same way. Mm-hmm. Like they all kind of want to take their own destiny into their own hands, and often that means force and often that means aggression even if they don't perceive it as such um but they're just trying to defend their own things in their own ways uh there's a really good Beckla moment i think we'll talk about in the second Comsphere uh run that uh, i ended up kind of coming around on the character and enjoying him a bit more uh because of it but mm. Uh, we do have a mild break in the comps fearing here because 
everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. Clearly, New Yevon and the Youth League are just having problems. You know, they're they're falling apart, and uh, we've got to bring Spira back together. And much like the real world and the many times that <laughs> bad things have happened and celebrities have banded together to sing for good or for ill <laughs> um, Yuna decides that we're going to put on, not even Yuna everyone around Yuna decides that Yuna is going to put on a concert uh, to save Spira and um, it comes out of a joke from that Pain makes but obviously Brother and Riku uh, will not let the moment slide <laughs> And so Shinra decides to handle the tech, and we can pick Tobli up at the Moonflow, and everything is basically on wheels and in motion before Yuna can say otherwise. Um, and and this is kind of where we have, and Ken has a quote here in the notes about Yuna's inner monologue of saying, I began this journey hoping to find you, but I now know that may never happen. Still, I will keep walking this road. I have to find where they connect. Um it's I, I think Yuna's internal dialogue in this chapter is really interesting because even though we've had a moment of kind of this spiritual contact with Titus, it almost feels like Yuna is also at a place where she is trying to make peace with the fact that she may never see Titus again. Right. And I think she's seeing a lot of parallels between the the, the Len Shuyin stuff that is happening right, right now and herself and Titus and is trying mm -hmm. to make peace with the fact that much like Len and Shuyin, they may not get their happy ending. They may right. not get their their ride off into the sunset. Um, and it makes this whole chapter kind of really bittersweet mm -hmm. in a way. Um, you know, you might wonder, is Yuna just kind of jumping into a lot of the stuff that ends up happening because, you know, she is the, the hero of Spira and all that and, and is hero summoner doormat right. <laughs> but also i think there's a lot of personal motivation in this chapter that that works very well mm -hmm. and and makes yuna feel like a very compelling character because of it right mm -hmm. um, I, I feel like a lot of the game up to this point and i think you know it's the, it's a strong arc to the game is it like a lot of it has been her like you know to some degree like being selfish wanting things for herself like wanting to go on this journey for herself not get involved in things but i think as she started to realize what she was reaching for might not be she does kind of have to like come back to reality and be like, I do have impact, like an impact on this world. Like I do have a place that I need to find that I need to start, you know, settling for myself. And if that starts with something like a concert to bring people together, maybe that's something I can do now. That can be a larger thing that I do in the future, mm -hmm. while I kind of make peace with the fact that the thing I wanted for myself might not be possible anymore. But Payne also mentions that she was singing the the hymn back when Yuna sang it before too, and I think that's like another part that makes the concert hit a little bit extra. Is like a as we go through another bout of calm spheres here, we don't need to go in depth too much on this stuff because it's really just a lot of us popping around to different people in Spira and saying like, "Hey, you should go to the concert. You should attend the concert. Kamari, go to the concert." Um, and a lot <laughs> of it's it's mostly just explaining why a lot of people in Spira didn't go to the concert <laughs> more than anything else you know the aurochs and, and waka and lulu need to stay home because obviously the the kid is on the way uh and and kimari has to watch the mountain um donna bartello are trying to deal with things back in kilika and bartello is 
the most dense of himbos <laughs> continues to be <laughs> oh in just the most painful lovable way um god how i can... love donna and bartello so much it's, like oh it's so good so good the, the whole scene that's coming up with them uh well, of Donna eventually trying to like get the the reconciliation right is mm-hmm. so good. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you want to say something? No, I was I was actually going to talk about that that scene too. Just like the the point where Donna is like basically practicing how she's going to like apologize and <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of them was one of them was an apology. The other one was like more detached. <laughs> and I think she was just like trying to figure out where the middle ground is between these things. Um. But yeah, mm. that 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 is like the fun, like almost like it, it's like weirdly voyeuristic in a way. But it almost it kind of reminds me of like Lair of the Shadow Broker from Mass Effect, mm, yeah, where there's yeah, that yeah. whole segment where you're like looking in all these characters and like seeing, you know, different things that are happening like off uh, like surveillance cameras or something. And it's because like there are some times where it's not even a conversation between Yuna and this person. It is just like we see something where they it's like they don't realize that we're there, and those are those can be fun sometimes. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I was kind of wondering the same thing when I was looking at the the Donna stuff. But there is a part later on when she goes and ties the comm sphere to a balloon <laughs> to send it to the temple, uh, that I felt like was at least a tacit acknowledgement that like Donna was aware that Yuna could see her the whole time as she was practicing these different speeches and stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I. I, I don't know. I like the, the narrative thread that Donna has come to trust Yuna in a way that she did not in, mm-hmm. in Final Fantasy X. And maybe mm-hmm. it was because of all the things that happened on their journeys in Final Fantasy X that Donna has at least come to respect Yuna in a way that she did not before mm-hmm. and, and find like common ground uh, in a way that can forge a relationship between the two. Um, and so maybe she like pretends to not know that Yuna can see her, but actually does want Yuna to be aware because she is worried about how to get this right with Bartello mm-hmm. because she wants to get mm-hmm. it right. I like that idea. Um, yeah. It's it's sweet. I don't know. It's The one thing I was bummed was that I forgot to get a Xanarkin sphere down, so I did not see any of the Isaru scenes in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of bummed because he is one of those characters that I feel like I am. I want to know more about how he's dealing with stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you have, if you can speak to that at all, Ken. No, I, I actually also didn't see it. <laughs> Great. We, um, we did one. I got, I got to see, I Jenny. got to see Isaro's. <laughs> I don't know if I saw all of them, but um, yeah, Isaro is interesting because he's, you know, he's unable to come to the concert, but he wishes us luck, you mm-hmm. know, over in Xanarkand. And um, it's interesting because he talks about his adjustment and still getting used to using Machina and feeling mm-hmm. like he's, He's got this sort of guilt right. and feeling like he's doing something wrong. And, uh, you know, he's like, ah, everyone's saying that I'm just kind of old and not not with it. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a millennial. You know, or God. Basically the equivalent <laughs> of Spira's millennial. Uh, and so um, he talks about how, like, Bavel's in a rough place. And since Berylai is gone, um, you know, that they're looking for a leader. And he even overtly makes, uh, Yuna says, oh, you know, well, what, what's going to happen? And Isaro even says, you know, hey, you know, they might just try to push stuff onto you. I could see them doing that. And uh, it's interesting that even he, you know, so many characters acknowledge Yuna as, you know, the goody two shoes, the one who's going to come in and like save the day. And mm-hmm. and you you hear Isaru do that as well. Um, 
and just Yuna saying, well, what do they expect me to do? And Isaro says, well, you know, you are the summoner. They, they're going to ask you to help solve their problems. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So it was just sort of another reminder of, of this, this role that Yuna has and like how she's evolving and how maybe she wants to be seen versus how she's being seen. It's, it, it's interesting that all the summoners, you know, as, as Spira kind of falls into disarray and, and the main leaders have gone away, the summoners are the ones that everybody turns to again because everyone's so mm-hmm. used to turning to them for guidance and for help. And the summoners are the ones who have had to kind of bear the emotional weight of Spira for so long, right? Like that was the entire story of 10 was Yuna and these other summoners being the things that the entire village could cast their burdens onto and then send out as a ritual sacrifice so that they could all get on with their lives. And now everyone gets to keep living. They don't need that ritual sacrifice anymore. And the summoners are still the thing that the entire village turns to to dump all their problems onto. And it's it's interesting to see how each one of them handles that and how each one of them deals with that. You know, Yuna is still trying to help everyone, whether she admits it or not, whereas Donna is very much like, no, I, I've i got my own stuff I'm dealing with. My beautiful himbo boy <laughs> just can't get his stuff right. And we've got problems we need to work out. And I'm going to take care of that because I'm not here to take care of you. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's very interesting seeing that all pan out. See, this is why we bring Jenny on, because not only is Jenny an excellent <laughs> guest with excellent insight on the game, but she does the homework. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we we are going to get this concert going. We are popping, jetting around different comm spheres, telling everyone that this concert is underway. Ormi is, is talking to us. Um, the Jose faction talks to us a little bit. Um, Nadala uh, mentions something about a big fiend that's been interfering with all the digs in Beaconel, and that's where Yuna accidentally volunteers to help, and we get the hero summoner doormat. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, is just having a bad time. Poor Clasco just can't figure his stuff out ever. It's it's tough. Granted, I've not brought him any chocobos, so I'm not helping him out, but this... This boy needs to be self-sufficient, all right? If he wants chocobos, he's got to get his own chocobos. He's got to go get his own in this world, this new Spira. That's how I feel. Just tossing Clasco in the deep end. <laughs> um, so let's go find Tobli. Uh, we head off to the moon flow, and uh, we have to just chase after Tobli for a very long segment in which, oof, um, we hit we hit our first moment of this game has aged poorly Ooh, because when they yeah. when they are trying to catch Tobli, a short statured person, they use a certain word that has been commonly used as a derogatory um, slur for uh, short statured people. And woof, I. Uh, we we've we've done well so far let's mm. say in terms of the the localization has aged well and clearly these guys are supposed to be the the uh, unsavory types you know they're basically hired muscle looking for tobley um but i was still a little surprised i was like oh yeah that, like, that i has not... genuinely flinched when it happened I was like yeah yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that that was one of those moments where I was like, you know, they had a remaster where they could have looked back at this and just said, "That's what mm, I thought too." Uh, <laughs> maybe not have this. Maybe just scrap that one voice line. I don't know how much work that would take to take that one. You know, take that trigger out or re-record a line or just kind of scrap it. I don't know, but woof. Mm. Um, anyways, um. As, as Ken mentions in the notes, by the way, uh, I did start using that Samurai Dress Sphere, uh, as I mentioned in our last episode, because mm-hmm. uh, I'm still trying to figure out what Yuna's going to do. Uh, and Yuna's still kind of bouncing around spheres for me in this one. Uh, we'll talk about it later on, but I did start using some of the older spheres for Yuna, so like Songstress again. But uh, Samurai, pretty, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Pretty all right. Uh, mm-hmm. in terms of having an extra physical damage output that uh, actually matches up pretty well with, with Dark Knight. Uh, having Yuna and Pain on Samurai Dark Knight duty was uh, working pretty well, so that might be the way forward for my team here, uh, with Riku continuing to learn the many, many skills of Alchemist. Mm. There's, there is no end to them. Um this this whole section we just kind of chase Tobley all over the moon flow. We go forward, we go back, he gets in a machina, takes off, crashes into stuff, gets on a shoe puff, goes across <laughs> the moon flow, uh, climbs a tree. Uh it, it's just a whole thing. It is it is a comedy bit. It might as well um, be like a Scooby Doo chasing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And honestly, at first, I, I'd say for like the first part where they're like, "Oh, we we must have passed him, turned back around." I was like, "Uh," <laughs> but then by the time that he was falling out of a tree, I was like, "Okay, you know what? This is actually pretty good." <laughs> like the second half, like after you cross the moon flow, is when like the gags get better, in my opinion, because yeah. mm-hmm. like it yeah. ends with like a, a shoe puff just appearing out of nowhere and chasing off the last yeah. guy, which was very <laughs> good. Mm-hmm. Um. And yeah, so we finally catch up with Tobley right in front of Guado Salam. Uh, and he's just, yeah, you know, how's it going? What do y'all need? <laughs> Unfazed <laughs> by the entire thing. Yeah. This is this is just a Tuesday for Tobley. <laughs> yeah. um, and we tell Tobley our plan, and he's like, heck yeah, let's put together a promotion. Let's go. Let's, uh, let's, let's get all the word out there. And then he assembles the greatest PR team of all time, the high pillows. <laughs> and we get this segment where we are flying the airship around and the high pillows are literally just jumping off the airship to land <laughs> in different places to go spread the word about this concert. And they said where we drop them boys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here comes the battle bus. <laughs> like I and the way they explain it in the story, they're like, won't they be hurt jumping from this high up? And they're just like, nah, it's good. That's all the explanation we get. Nah, they're cool. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and Riku's just like, oh, huh. Pretty gutsy, huh? <laughs> and uh, this this game, this game just has an irreverence for itself that I enjoyed so much. It's like, we don't need to explain why high pillows can jump from massive heights. It, it, they just need to for this particular part of the narrative so they're going to be able to and that's it <laughs> <laughs> it's so good um so yeah we we keep dropping them and um shinra's making a sphere as ken notes my greatest pet peeve happens again in this section where brother says octun and 
one of my greatest writing pet peeves is when people say words that have no context in the world that they're in. So in Dragon Age, mm-hmm. uh, the whole, uh, was it uh, creme, creme brulee? Yeah. yeah. Where, like, why, why would they have that joke about creme's name? Because French doesn't exist in Dragon Age. Uh, here... German doesn't exist in Spira. <laughs> so where did the word Octune come from? Uh, that's just one of my my little ones. But I, as I said while I was playing, as Ken has noted here, uh, for how campy this game is, I will give it a pass. It is, it's allowed. This game is clearly just having a good time. It's not trying to be serious in that way. Uh, and it gets a free pass because we just came off of a scene of high pillows jumping off in airship. <laughs> so it's all good. Um, how are we feeling about those comm spheres? Are we ready to talk more comm spheres? Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, so many comm spheres. We <laughs> thought we had enough comm spheres. We, we get more. <laughs> um, this is the Beklum one that I actually liked a bit. Uh, you you tune into Besaid and Beklum is there. He's been called back to the Youth League headquarters. Um, and he starts talking some big shit about Waka. Is just like, hey, mm-hmm. Chapu, I knew Chapu when I was in the Crusaders. And Chapu used to always talk about how great Waka is. But um i was so disappointed that he's just a guy that he's just whoever and chapu was like so much better than than waka ever was and i know it might sound weird for me to say like oh i like beklum now but i found Mm. i found his character arc to be a little bit more understandable and compelling in this moment because beklum is clearly this person that understood chapu through a lens only understood chapu Mm -hmm. through the lens of here's this admirable warrior that fought for the cause and then always was always talking about his brother back home and how great he was so clearly waka must be like twice the the patriot twice the crusader that that chapu could ever be uh and then the the realization for beklum that he hasn't i don't think he's had yet and i hope he does have is that there is more to life than just being a youth league being a crusader being this this military force that is trying to change the world through action and instead like waka is a good person which we we kind of get the follow-up bit to this with lulu uh in our next besaid comm sphere that um waka's importance is that he knows what's worth fighting for and he mm-hmm. has fought for what's worth fighting for in the past um and and continues to do so after chapu leaves and I think Waka himself also had an imperfect understanding of Chapu and, mm-hmm. and held Chapu as an ideal more than as a person. But um, it really brought Beklum into that realm of Waka, Lulu, Chapu that uh, helped me contextualize this character a bit more and understand his motivations a bit more. So, yes, he's still a dick, but <laughs> he's <laughs> he's a compelling, understandable dick now. And so I like that segment with him. Mm-hmm. Um Lulu also shows up, and once again, Lulu, just absolutely phenomenal character, and frustrated to no end that we don't get as much Lulu in this game as we mm-hmm. could have, should have, uh, because she she does a great job of just uh, scolding Yuna for, for being a doormat <laughs> and putting on <laughs> a concert, um, you know, saying we couldn't... You, couldn't help you couldn't resist helping out you haven't changed at all um 
and she has a great line that's about like um keep changing but don't force it um Mm -hmm. you know good change comes about when you're not even recognizing it look at waka and that's when waka comes (laughs) up and starts acting like a doofus and all that Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it was a really again lulu is always that character that is i do think there's some justification in in the way that they said that lulu is kind of this um older mentor character for yuna and so having a bit more freedom on the gold wings to for yuna to be herself is good um but every time lulu shows up with a little bit of wisdom with a little bit of of just recognizing what's what's happening around them and uh and giving some advice at a critical juncture i'm like dang lulu is too good of a character (laughs) for for what the series does to her (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh i don't know Mm. i mean look waka tries i give waka points for trying (laughs) the second most lovable himbo in this game (laughs) uh the oryx also tell us they can't go to the show because obviously the baby's coming soon and waka's freaking out so waka's gonna need help uh donna as we mentioned before is practicing her uh talk to bartello going through many different ideas um and then attaches the con sphere to a balloon and pushes it to the temple because Bartello has previously broken one of our con spheres at the temple with the resonance of his voice screaming for Donna. <laughs> and then Bartello receives the balloon and wants to send them back, but he keeps popping the balloons by blowing too much air into them and, and not being able to send them back. And once again, breaks a sphere with the resonance of his cries for Donna. <laughs> it's so good. It's one of my favorite, like, little sort of mini episodes we mm-hmm. get with the comp spheres. It's a very good gag. God, just lovable as hell. You if he doesn't break technology screaming my name, I don't want it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, we, we pop over to the Mushroom Rock Road where Lucille is, and she assures us that, hey, you know, we're not going to take any military action. Nothing bad is going to happen. Don't worry about it. But then we pop back in and we see Yibel, the the break dancer Yibel, <laughs> just busted down and yeah. to call together the Yibel squad who say that they're going to patrol Yuna's concert, uh, which obviously they're, <laughs> they're just showing up looking for some action. You know, they, they're mm-hmm. showing up for a fight and uh, that's not great. Uh, we pop over to the moon flow and we see Elma uh, still wanting to get a chocobo to the concert but there are still issues with chocobos riding shoe puffs apparently so she says i'll swim if i have to i'm getting to this concert uh we have not mentioned yet and i don't remember if the game is ever super clear about it but the concert is being held in the thunder plains for some reason and i cannot remember uh, why it was they chose ma- the thunder plains uh, it was mainly because like capacity most, yeah capacity <laughs> most people could oh. be there for it then like never mind the lightning strikes Mm -hmm. the literal lightning i mean (laughs) sign of how spira has changed that this place that was once a deadly part of the pilgrimage uh for summoners uh is now just completely chill i mean even the music in the thunder plains is so chill and like you know 24 7 youtube lo-fi hip-hop and chill uh as the lightning just kind of crackles onto the towers that now it's just this nice pleasant area that you can walk through instead of this terrifying place of death <laughs> and mm-hmm. 
we can hold a concert here now. <laughs> um, so uh, at Guado Salam, we let Ormi know, um, and he seems pretty excited about it. Uh, so at the Magalania shop, I should point out that because I never paid off Owaka's debt, um, the shop has just been overrun by fiends once again. Uh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> um, but after we're done with the conspheres, uh, we do have a literal mini game, uh, like mini in the most literal sense. This happens once in this game. Uh, and we, we head over to the cabin and Riku is practicing dancing and Riku's like, yeah, come dance. And they try to hastily explain how this minigame works to you. And I gotta tell you, I scored the highest possible score. Maybe not the highest possible, but I cleared the highest benchmark for the best prize that you could get from this minigame. And I still don't know how it works. I just kind of hit buttons that looked like the right buttons I should hit mm-hmm. at the right time and just spammed the heck out of them. No beat, no rhythm, no nothing. Just spam them. And uh, mm-hmm. and it gave me points. So apparently I'm a great dancer. Always have been. Uh, don't question it. I just, I'm good at this. <laughs> yeah, it's weird like, because yeah. like, the, the music's not even like lined up with what you're doing. And like, cause it's, yeah. like, it's like, hit the buttons on the beat. And I was like, you didn't even think the the game part to the music because this music was playing when I got here mm-hmm. and like lingered while I was reading the menu like you know the the instructions it's like nothing here is in sync with each other this is like if this is supposed to be a rhythm game I don't know what I'm supposed to be hitting these buttons to the rhythm of weird yeah it was a not like bizarre is maybe strong but it did feel just like a weird dream very mm-hmm. surreal <laughs> where it's like like the character models are dancing on one beat mm-hmm. and then there's like camera cuts happening and then the music's doing something else and then you're yeah supposed to be hitting the buttons on a third time entirely it feels like they, they set then, up something but they never actually yes. finished it yeah and then you have like the shoe puff or not the shoe puff the hypello mm-hmm. there that's just like just stage fright yep. <laughs> like Man, it's vibing. Yeah. Yeah. I I would genuinely love to find out because there's not just the fact that this is there's too much work put into this mini game for it to be a one off. <laughs> but also it does just appear and feels completely unfinished in a way. But also throughout the entire game there's been kind of this undercurrent story that I I feel like we've minorly addressed but even the game seems to not want to fully address which is that Riku is also kind of into the pop music sort of thing you know we have when Yuna is having her her moment of sadness on the airship which is still one of the best parts of this entire game (laughs) um it's it's Riku who's putting on a concert behind her while this is all happening and when we start to put together the the concert for this chapter, not only is Riku one of the ones who's super excited about it, but she keeps asking, like, hey, am I going to be one of your backup mm-hmm. dancers? Am I going to be one of your backup singers? She's practicing for, for this, yeah. even though she ends up not taking part in the actual performance. And part of me wonders if there was some sort of, like, narrative thing that was supposed to be going on, because... One one point that I forgot to make earlier when we were talking about all the pain stuff is that Riku has not gotten much in this game compared mm-hmm. to the other two. Yuna has a ton mm-hmm. of story. Pain has a ton of story. Riku 
gets moments and has right. a really good moment coming up here near the end of the episode, but really just kind of seems there to be the the comedic character, to be mm-hmm. the the lighthearted character. And I wonder if there was a desire to have some sort of story running in the background about her being like wanting to be a pop star like Yuna or wanting to do some of the same things, but struggling with it. Right. And that just kind of got scrapped at some point because it really does feel like there's something there that they were trying to do um, beyond just, Oh, it would be fun if we had to dance off with these characters, which is fun. I, I like to be clear. I do think it's fun. I think the mini game doesn't make any sense, but I think the idea of Yuna and Riku having a dance-off, or at least dance practice, is is fun and enjoyable and fits the mood of this game, but it does feel like there's mm-hmm. something missing to make it meaningful to the larger picture. Right. Uh, she, she does a lot of facilitating things yes, for everyone else. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, that is like a narrative function of what a character can do, but it does feel like she is missing that sort of, like, through line that everyone else has, which is mm-hmm. kind of disappointing. Yeah. Because Riku was ultimately a pretty major character in 10 at least in terms of giving us insight into the all bed and giving us insight into the non yevin uh side of living in spira and you know someone who was not raised to believe in the teachings of yevin and all that and she was always a very interesting character because of that you know when she didn't want to go into the far plane because she didn't believe in it mm-hmm. and uh, when she's the one who ends up spilling the beans about summoners and all that because she can't believe that no one has told Titus yet and that Titus has been doing this whole journey without knowing like what is going to happen at the end of it. And um, to have her just kind of be a side character in this game as a Riku fan mm-hmm. does kind of bum me out mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Um, I like her character a lot. I think when she does get moments... Uh, she can be a pretty meaningful character, especially in relation to Yuna right. and being actual family of Yuna and all that. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. And, and I think uh, there's something to be said, just like as mm-hmm. like an extension of who she was in ten, that like her wanting to be this person that is facilitating this new life for Yuna because like she has been, you know, outside of that system for significantly longer than Yuna has, and like wanting to be just like part of her family and part of her life. And I think that like mm-hmm. for you know. Spoilers, not really even spoilers, just, like, to reference something that we'll get to several episodes from now, like, that comes into play in the, the last mission stuff of Final Fantasy X-2, where it's kind of, like, mm-hmm. Riku and Yuna dealing with having lives separate from each other and having feelings about, like, that about that separation, and, like, Riku maybe feeling, you know, a little bit of resentment for, you know, helping Yuna find this new life and not necessarily feeling like she's a part of it, and... You know, that is, you know, something that we'll get into later, but it does feel like mm-hmm. that sort of stuff is more subtext than it is more explicitly talked about in that. Gotcha. Yeah. It, it, it kind of feels like Riku, like you said before, is a facilitator. Gets, like, sidelined a little bit to be able to be the things that she needs to be for other characters to have their development in this game. So, Riku, we see you. We shout you out. <laughs> we We want better for you you fictional character who <laughs> listens to this podcast regardless. Mm. <laughs> um, we get to the Thunder Plains and uh, the High Pillow is like, hey, what's up? Everything's great. Concert's coming along swimmingly. One problem. 
there are fiends here. <laughs> and so uh, we decided to have a little pre-concert Hurt Fest time uh, where we head to a cave off the side of the Thunder Plains where a dragon uh, fiend has holed up. Uh, pretty pretty basic to the point that I was like, were they making this chapter and suddenly realized they did not have a boss in it mm-hmm. and were like, oh, we should probably have a boss in here. Um, we The Zalamander that we end up fighting... Um, honestly, pretty straightforward fight in in my experience. I did have the benefit of a guy telling me that darkness works on this character pretty well, but even then, I was doing so little damage, having only one character on damage output because I had Riku on on Alchemist doing the healing after she threw up Protect and Shell, and uh, I had. Yuna on Songstress casting Darkness Dance over and over again, so only Pain was doing damage. I was like, ugh, this is taking forever. I don't care if I take some extra hits. At this point, Riku knows uh, free Mega Potion, so I just have a free Mega Potion every time her turn pops up, so I'm not really in danger of dying here. So, um, I just had Yuna swap over to Samurai, and even then, by the time I swapped over to Samurai, I had already done a pretty substantial amount of damage, so it didn't take long to close the fight out and yeah this this is maybe the point where i was going huh you know this this monster i don't know if my team is just really powerful at this point or if this fight was just not challenging but definitely not the tough fight it was not the dark yojimbo the Mm. the evil yojimbo Mm. that we fought previously because that fight oh still thinking about that fight still oh wonderful fight but I don't know, Jenny. How did you fare against the Zalamander? What's what's your strategy been in in ten two? Um, I think I might be over level <laughs> <laughs> because I have been like I've been really diligent about going through all of the side quests that I can find. And um, when I was younger, I there's like I forget which bangle, but there's like a bangle you can equip that gets rid of um random encounters mm-hmm. when i was younger mm-hmm. i would have that equipped all the time because i was like i just want story right. and i was so under leveled mm-hmm. so i was actually nervous because i remember the salamander being really tough but looking back i think it's because i just did not <laughs> actually level my party when i was younger and so um i was really surprised at just yeah i, I didn't feel like it was a tough battle at all i just kind of like did my thing and it was just that was that was it Mm. i didn't feel like i had to strategize really for this um but yeah i think also i'm just over leveled it's something i'm thinking about now that we're like nearing like the actual end game it's like i feel like by doing you know by doing side quests you do kind of end up over leveling yourself and i think that is why Mm -hmm. you like looking back at certain fights like the barrel i fight in babel is usually like considered a sort of moment where this signals like a difficulty spike but if you've been very diligent in your playtime and you've been going out Mm -hmm. and doing everything then it kind of isn't as much and uh same thing with this and i think now that i'm thinking about it i was i think chapter five is also like another difficulty spike if you because that's when a lot of those like really tough in-game bosses and dungeons are happening that are you know optional because like mm-hmm. i think you know the, the actual main storyline is i guess we're, we're kind of like about on par with how it's going to feel i think you know i mean there, there are some tough fights in the mm-hmm. end but broadly this means like super challenging until you go looking for like the in-game bevel dungeon that we're going to get to next chapter but it kind of feels like some of the like, the game's difficulty scaling can be kind of off if you're really being thorough, and um, I think that's why like it's, you know certain fights like I said have like this 
you know, this traumatic memory of, like, being like, oh, this was tough when I was a kid, but, like, yeah. no, I just wasn't <laughs> doing as much as I was supposed to. I do find it funny that uh, that the equipment piece you mentioned, Jenny, the, the one that gets rid of random encounters just mm-hmm. automatically, and then also you can get one that increases random encounters and mm-hmm. makes you fight more. You get those so early on in this game, and it it felt kind of weird because obviously that's something that you can get later in Final Fantasy X as a way to just kind of avoid encounters entirely. Uh, And it was a piece of equipment I ended up valuing a lot in the late game when I was trying to just do all the things I needed to do to get certain celestial weapons and all that um, and finish up some of the side quest stuff that we had in that game. I didn't want to keep running into what felt like meaningless fights at that point. Uh, for for XP that was not going to be worth it in the amount of time I invested. But here, it does kind of feel like a a recognition that, hey, you've been all over this place before, and you're probably coming to this game understanding that there is uh, some requirement of needing to level, and so we're going to let you pick. We're going to let you set your encounter rate, something that a lot of modern JRPGs even do from menus and stuff i mean i've played rpgs in the last five years where you can say hey i want more encounters or no encounters or standard encounters like they do let you do that these days and it it was kind of interesting to see that in 10 2 as almost an early recognition of hey we're a sequel game people are coming into this with an understanding of when they're going to need to grind and when they're going to not need to grind. And so we'll let you kind of meter that. We'll let you, you know, put your thumb on the hose and and figure out how much of a stream of random encounters you want flying out of this thing, whether you want to completely turn them off and just go through this dungeon, which I did a few times here. After I beat the Zalamander and had to run back out to the Thunder Plains and all that, I just flipped on the no encounters and walked back out. But um it's, it's cool, I think, that the game does let you kind of meter that, even if it does result in situations where, oh no, I'm over-leveled, or I'm completely under-leveled, and <laughs> can't figure out what to do here. Um, what, what a game. What an interesting game. Mm-hmm. We head back out. Everyone's gathered around. Brother is just losing his mind. Brother... <laughs> Oh, complicated character, brother. (laughs) Um, But as we're getting everything set up, the crowd is already at each other's throats. Um, They're all getting mad. For some reason, all the new Yevonites are from New York, uh, which is really weird. (laughs) Uh, Just a weird accent. They share the same initials. Yeah. Um, uh, Tobley comes in and is like, hey, it's it's bad out there. You got to do something, Yuna. And we're like, all right, concert time, huddle up, YRP, let's go. Um, and here here comes the big moment. Yuna steps out onto the Celsius. Uh, a notification in the top right corner informs us that there will be no gameplay recording during this <laughs> section. <laughs> um, she pulls out the mic and says, A thousand years ago, before the time of sin, Spira was torn into, divided by a terrible war. This was Spira's great mistake. Out of the rift left by this terrible conflict, Sin was born. In only two short years, Spira has shaken off its unhappy past. We have moved on. Now Spira grows brighter with each passing day. That light is our strength. I don't want to see it fade. Do you? 
There are so many of us, each with different ideas and different beliefs. Of course, we sometimes disagree and arguments will happen, but our hearts can and should always be one. And then two voices start to come in, Yuna's and somebody else's. Believe with me, even if we're torn apart, our feelings will unite us. That's what this song is about. And we get A Thousand Words, which is the second song that Yuna sings in this game. Um, and as she sings, the the dress sphere starts to interact with the sphere screen that Shinra has made for the production. And we just start to see the entire story of Shuyin and Len start to take place. And we basically get an immersive AR VR music video as Yuna. And then eventually Len, who emerges from the dress sphere, duets with Yuna in what is honestly just what a banger. It starts it starts out <laughs> slow. I think the beginning of the song, I was like, oh, you know, it's a really slow ballad and uh, I don't know if I'm digging this song yet. And then it gets into the chorus and an it anthem. just... Oh, it, yeah. it goes. It really goes. <laughs> like, between this and Simple and Clean from Kingdom Hearts, fifth, fifth grade me had a lot of crying on the floor with a PlayStation 2 on because <laughs> th- this song, man, imprinted on my soul. Holy shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like, just, yeah, imprinted on my soul as well like that's the perfect Mm. way to describe it because like also you know as a kid um, I grew up watching a lot of j-pop and Mm -hmm. k-pop music Mm -hmm. videos and ballads and this like channels that so perfectly and so like seeing it gave me just chills and I got so emotional and then you just think about like what if you were at a show, right? And then all of a sudden, this everything disappears and, like, you're immersed in this scene mm-hmm. and story. And, like, I mean, I assume the average Spiran citizen, you know, doesn't mm-hmm. really know what's happening. Right. But, like, holy crap, that's, like, incredible. Just, oh, it's mm-hmm. just such an emotional moment. And, yeah, I, like, definitely got choked up mm-hmm. <laughs> when I was playing this. That's so good. It- it's it's incredible. I did have that moment where I was like, everyone in the crowd is gonna start freaking out because Vegnagun is here right. in like full yeah. scale, and they're seeing people get like murdered during this ballad. And you know, it's it's like Boz Lerman's people get murdered. You know, it's very artsy and romantic and stuff. Um, shoutouts to Nadia who uh, refers to Final Fantasy X as the Boz Lerman's Romeo and Juliet of video <laughs> games, uh, which is incredibly accurate. That's really good. <laughs> but uh, it's it is this this big moment where I think you as the player are starting to connect a lot of the lore dots that um, they later you know say aloud in words after this section. But also you get a lot of the emotion that's mm-hmm. tied up in it and then mm-hmm. are, I think, intended to start drawing the parallels between Shuyin and Len and Titus and Yuna and this sort of longing feeling of, you know, two wayward lovers who can't be together because mm-hmm. of the strife in their worlds and the, the forces tearing them apart. And it, it gets that emotion across so well. And when the duet starts happening, I... Yeah, that was that's the part that gets me is mm-hmm. when Len mm-hmm. like basically separates out from Yuna yeah. and they start duetting with each other. And yeah. 
Yeah, you're just like, dang. Oh, that hits. It's and fucking you, perfect. It's like such like... Mm. Even the lyrics, like a thousand words that have never been spoken, and they're talking about like calling through the ages. The, the line of um, turning all of the lonely years to only days is the mm-hmm. one that always gets me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very good line, like just really illustrating like thousands a thousand years has separated these moments and yet you know it's it's only moments for for how much they've been wanting to say things to each other and all that and it's oh this isn't a video podcast but i'm fist pumping (laughs) i know i'm like it's it's very good place right now (laughs) it's very good um yeah I, i can't stress it enough like this is it's it's also again we talked way at the beginning of the podcast about how different Final Fantasy X-2 is from other Final Fantasies. And Final Fantasy is no stranger to having a musical moment in a game. Now, granted, it has not been to this level in some time, but obviously uh, Final Fantasy VI has the opera scene. Um, mm-hmm. And then you, you have the spinoff side series, whatever. Kingdom Hearts obviously uses music to a great extent. So this this is a very no more a moment in a way but uh i i think it's also just it captures what this game does so differently and that it leans into the pop side of like the power of the ballad the power Mm -hmm. of music to convey an emotion where simple story and words would not get across Mm -hmm. all that the the developers really want to do with this moment like i don't think the pop star stuff in this game is just included purely because it would be fun if Vino was a pop star. I do think that that is probably a significant motivation, but uh, I think they end up doing interesting things with the idea of, you know, Yuna using song and using music Mm -hmm. to express a lot of the frustrations that she is going through and in creating a lot of the narrative parallels that they want to create between Mm -hmm. Len and Yuna that the music just ends up doing that so well, even in, the, the two music video segments we have had so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And all within, it's like, great. yeah, like, all within, like, a very grounded, like, it, it doesn't feel like a contrivance, like you were saying. Like, it feels like they are, like, beyond, you know, trying to make these parallels, there's also, like, just a larger commentary about, like, celebrity status and, like, what you mm-hmm. can do with your mm-hmm. influence and how you know wants to make a difference in some way that is different than how she did before, but also recognizing that she has an influence and can do things for the world of Spira. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one thing um, I like that you brought up, Eric, is this idea of the the difference between this Final Fantasy and what we traditionally think of as Final Fantasy, because like it's almost like um, classical music versus literally, like, quite mm-hmm. literally, this mm-hmm. game uses pop mm-hmm. music. But you know, they're both really good and can be really powerful, but they capture different tones and can capture just your attention and address tone in different way. And like like Final Fantasy, I don't know, six is like a classical mm-hmm. orchestrated, you know, piece and this is a pop song and they're both very different things but they both are so good at telling the stories that they're trying to tell mm-hmm. and I think like ugh, just cuz it's pop doesn't mean it's like any less quality I think right. cuz also I think it's in general society, you know, we talk about pop music and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, right. top 20 pop, who listens to that?" And I'm like, "But there's value to it. I think there's a lot of people who listen to it and there's a reason why. And mm-hmm. this is kind of like the pop version of Final Fantasy in mm-hmm. more ways than mm-hmm. just the literal right. sense of 
mm-hmm. pop music being used. Yeah, because like, uh, there is the argument people make like that's like a very vapid genre that doesn't like speak to like anything. And the thing, mm-hmm. especially like comparing not even you know the Final Fantasy series broadly, but like ten to ten to like the the mm-hmm. significant change in like the music people create and listen to, just like says so much about the way that the world has changed as well. And mm-hmm. I think like really leaning into that, like you know, again like. It's all like grounded in the fiction that they're writing, and it does. It's not just like you know the stylistic change that they want to do. Like they have really taken a lot of care to like distinguish these things in a way that is significant. Mm-hmm. We go from literal like tr- like hymn of the faith yes. church music yeah. <laughs> to right. to pop, and I think that's super important um, as we're looking at like this game and and ten, mm-hmm. um, and what's happening with the characters in it. That's that's something that I was talking with Ken about when I was playing this section was. Uh, it was interesting that so many characters kept bringing up the hymn of the faith and when Yuna had mm-hmm. everybody sing the hymn of the faith in, in Final Fantasy X and so many characters like like Ormi and Pain reflect fondly on that moment of, of mm-hmm. spirit coming together and I was I was making a joke that I was like what is Yuna gonna sing because like music barely <laughs> exists in this world and now Yuna has to like write all this music but we are now in an era where these like songs can start to be shared and Mm -hmm. and what used to be you know music was just kind of a a a folk thing that you learned through through other people hearing other people sing it and it being passed down through generations and and obviously hearing it in temples and churches much like the real world now you start to have people being able to share art on a larger scale and being able to create Mm -hmm. more art because of that and and throw in different influences and learn different things from other people um you start to see that emerge into what becomes popular music and it can still carry a lot of that same emotional weight and even have much more specificity towards a specific person's worries and concerns versus something like a hymn that is more of a a folk feeling that is more of a learned uh thing from your youth and i think that's an interesting wrinkle in all of this and mm-hmm. Yeah, I, there, there's something about even just the music of this game, as as Ken was noting, um, the music has changed so much, and every time I walk into certain areas, I'll be like, oh man, the music of this game is so good, like the Thunder Plains has a great um, overworld soundtrack, and I like heavily, for some reason, maybe it's because I played this game around the time that I was watching these shows, uh, I relate this game heavily to cowboy bebop and samurai shampoo because mm. both of them were starting to air on adult swim and tsunami around the time that i was playing this game for the first time but mm. both of their soundtracks really feel like incorporations of different musical styles into some into a world where they might not normally fit where they might not normally exist in cowboy mm-hmm. bebop it was jazz into space which i think now we recognize is a very good fit but feels very different the first time you hear it in in shampoo mm. it was ideas of hip-hop and rap and mm-hmm. um those beats even one of the the main credit songs shiki no uta sounds like a song that could be in final fantasy 10 too and i keep thinking is like oh this feels like a lost track from 10 too in some ways um and and in 10 too it's this feeling of you have all these kind of uh, chill, almost lo-fi hip-hop beats in places like the Thunder Plains, and you have these songs that are very clearly influenced by such a wider range of music than what you would expect to be this very classical 
uh, Nobuo Uematsu soundtrack, which no no shade to the greatest of Final Fantasy. I love Ten soundtrack, and I would say it's honestly one of, if not the best, in Final Fantasy's history. But there's something about the Ten Two soundtrack that I just keep coming back to. It's so different and unique and interesting, and I feel like the music video also captures that feeling of you know, Spira is evolving. Spira is changing. Spira is starting to define itself in broader terms and uh, not just be this classical fantasy story that we are used to. And that's cool. Mm -hmm. That's neat. Mm -hmm. Put it on Spotify. Put it on Spotify, Square. Just do it. I don't, I I know, I know there's probably some like licensing issues you have to get there. Just do it. You have so much money. You you can do so much (laughs) if you really tried. Like Yuna, you can change the world with music. Yeah, like, I mean, come on. This is, a, this is, like, you have a societal obligation to put the Tentu soundtrack on streaming services. Square, oh, I don't please. know enough about business, but I do feel like you would make more money putting this on Spotify than you have made putting Babylon's Fallout into the world. <laughs> I'm just <True>. saying. <laughs> um let's talk about the parallels between Len and Yuna because I think this is our last big narrative beat and it's one that's worth looking into uh Payne and Riku are attending to Yuna back in the cabin who Yuna has kind of had an emotional episode after this giant music video that just came blasting out of her dress (laughs) um and so Riku just kind of says oh Shinra said it was sphere wave interference something happened and (laughs) when I kept asking Shinra about it he eventually just said I'm only a kid I don't know Uh, which was very funny and Yuna is like it has to be Len Len's memories are in this sphere that's why we saw all this stuff up there on the screen something's going on and we head to the bridge and Macon is there Um, Macon came out for the concert is like good job you know you probably did exactly what you wanted i think the groups are are together now they're united they were moved by the song and then macon starts telling us the story of len and i want to point out here that this is one of the situations in which i believe we could cut macon off if we want to like we could with previous macon Mm -hmm. things which i think is weird because this entire thing that he tells us is very important and ends up being like what i think is a very interesting story and so it was weird for them to just have buddy and brother in the front seat like yawning and stretching (laughs) like it was funny but also i was like "Mm, maybe this is not one that they should have just let people be able to like interrupt macon during or whatever um macon tells us the story of len uh len was a songstress in xanarkins uh a pop star if you will who was very popular um and was kind of set to be a star uh the people loved her but she was also very potent in summoning she was a very good summoner uh and as we have learned at this point there was the machina war going on between xanarkind and uh bevel and uh len was going to be sent off to the front lines probably to fight and die because xanarkind at this point was heavily outnumbered uh so Shuyin, her lover was uh not not down for that was not happy about this although interesting to point out Macon does not know Shuyin's name mm. uh Shuyin's name the, the name of Len's lover has been lost to time um only Yuna is really familiar with Shuyin at this point uh and so Shuyin tried to take over Vegnagun and 
uh, seize control of it to save Len. And obviously that is the scene that we have been seeing repeat over and over again of the two of them being gunned down in front of Vegna Gun. Uh, so we've, we've got our, our, our setup. We now know what has happened to Shuyin and Len and why Shuyin and Len are doing the things that they're doing in the modern times. Um, and this is where Riku does get her moment and says, like, I get that. You know, two years ago, I wanted to do anything to save Yuna mm -hmm. before Yuna would have mm -hmm. had to sacrifice herself to take down Sin. Um, and I, I like that moment because it's like, oh, you know, it, it's a recognition of how much these two cared about each other. And, you know, one of the moments that from 10 that still sticks with me is when they're out in the the thunder planes and riku and you like riku like takes yuna's hands and is like talking to her and just being like i will do anything for you i want you to live a happy life and the the lightning interrupts them and riku's like we are talking here please <laughs> um uh i think back on that moment a lot because i do think that there is like a genuinely good friendship that, that is established between these two and uh is really heartwarming when they let it shine in these moments so shout outs to riku getting a moment and mm -hmm. then immediately not having a moment anymore <laughs> as they move past it um pain comments that len's final words were probably happy ones something like i love you and then yuna realizes shuyin probably never heard those words and that's why he's still angry that's why he's still persisting because as we have learned in 10 uh, the dead become unsent because they haven't accepted their death yet. And Shuyin is so mad, literally so angry that he has become a thousand year old unsent, just trying to possess people and uh, make Vegnagun happen again. Mm -hmm. um, so I do. Like, before we move before, on. Yeah. Before we go to LeBlanc and, and kind of what gets us moving into chapter five, I, I like this section. I like they are basically saying a lot of things that we've already intuited to this point, but I do think it draws that very neat line between Titus Yuna and Shuyin Len in a way mm -hmm. that that makes this whole conflict start to feel less about like, oh, we need to save Spiro, which is obviously important, but also is something that hits close to home for Yuna and mm -hmm. she might be able to give these two the um, the, the resolution that she never got with mm -hmm. Titus. I also just like that it's like all these characters just kind of like sitting around talking about the power of love and how love is like this great force <laughs> and just like really like leaning into that and it's just uh, you know, because like we need even like we make a lot of the, the uh, you know, the direct parallels between Titus and Yuna and Lin and Shuyin but there's also like, you know, Riku says like she would have done anything to save Yuna but also Yuna also expresses that just like the knowledge that she cared and was with her was mm -hmm. enough mm -hmm. would have been enough no matter what happened and that i feel like mm -hmm. you know also leans into what i think shuyin is lacking at, or like what we are hypothesizing that shuyin is lacking at this point like you know he might not have been able to save lin but knowing that she was content with his love and his support would have been enough that would have allowed him to accept his death and move on I just, mm -hmm. that's, that's, I like that, like, they have, like, all these characters just kind of, like, talking about how fucking rad loving each other is and just, like, having that companionship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. so small scene, but, like, I'm just, I'm, I'm into it. I'm feeling it. So good. It is. Well, and it's, it's like, 
that was what we that was the point of 10 right the entire time yuna's going on this pilgrimage she's constantly saying to, to so many people like I, it's not me this is my guardians like i'm mm-hmm. here because of my guardians mm-hmm. i'm here because of my friends mm-hmm. and like we we have that throughout this game but this moment in time like you said uh is just so special because they are really just like leaning back into that mm-hmm. and remembering that it's, it's real nice yep. mm-hmm. yeah it's again not to just c- keep comparing this to other final fantasies but um it it does feel like a narrative beat that feels very separate from other Final Fantasy games, with the exception of maybe Final Fantasy 15, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, 15 is the one other game I can think of where they try to let these characters have this sort of emotional intimacy with each other and try to deal with, you know, people who definitely may not like each other in some moments, but do still love each other and will stick it out for each other. Um, Mm -hmm. And those are the moments of 15 that I feel are its best moments. And so it it did hit me a little bit extra when we got to this point, which as a reminder, this is, you know, this is all new to me at this point. Um, We, we have long since passed the the point that young Eric stopped playing this game because he had to return (laughs) it to blockbuster or whatever. Uh, and so it, it's, it was hitting me a little bit extra, this, this section here, um, where they are all just kind of talking about how this one, the, the struggles of war, I mean, we haven't even begun to talk about, you know, how societal conflict and just the recurring history of Spira wanting to tear itself apart in civil conflict with each other because they can't understand each other and how that is like creating real, tears between people that are causing all these problems Mm -hmm. that have persisted through the ages um it's it it all comes together very neatly in a way that did kind of surprise me because i think for a lot of 10-2 i felt like i've enjoyed the story but i haven't seen how the broader picture is coming together yet Mm -hmm. and i do think you know i I was saying at the beginning of this how four chapter four is the funnel Mm -hmm. that gets it all together and i I don't necessarily mean that derogatorily. I think this is the point where they say all of these different things that we have been doing throughout the world, the importance is that you're understanding that Spira has been at conflict with itself. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are scared and trying to figure out the way forward. And that means that they're Mm -hmm. not trusting each other. They're very easily coming to conflict with each other, coming to blows with each other. And now you know, they need something that can bring it all together. And maybe that is, you know, putting on a massive concert. Maybe that is settling some of the deepest wounds that existed because of these previous conflicts that we had in the past and destroying things like Vegnagun that were created out of fear. I mean, I think it's interesting as, as we get into with Gipple and Nuge, as we get an update from them, they, they found one of the con spheres that we were chucking down into the hole <laughs> and um, they they talk about how are we going to get close to Vegnagun because Vegnagun, the second it detects any sort of aggression, just runs away. I don't know if we've talked much about this, but like Sin was this force of just constant destruction and death and doom. It was this like unstoppable current, like a tidal wave just, that just passed over the world constantly. Whereas Vegnagun is a super weapon on the level of sin, but its existence is to run away and almost be afraid of what it is. Mm. And I think that's really 
compelling in terms of this like giant threat because the threat we're trying to chasing is only a threat because people want to misuse it Mm -hmm. and it would theoretically Mm -hmm. not be a problem if no one had malevolence in their heart when they wanted to use it Mm -hmm. it would otherwise just be this inert machine that wasn't causing anyone any problems you know the way that it was when we first stumble across it when when barrel is telling us about it um it's it's a cool way to frame this this big threat Right, and I think it also, like, it feeds into what Yuna's kind of, like, ultimate goal is here at the end of this chapter, is that, like, you know, Nuge and Gepple, like, they want to destroy it. That's, you know, their end goal. And I think, like, it's interesting to see Yuna get, like, kind of, like, more to the heart of what the problem is, is that, like, she wants to try and get through to Shuyin more than anything. And that, like, like we've been saying, like, she can maybe mm-hmm. offer this closure to these uh, two, you know, lovers that have never had that over a thousand years. But... You know, Vagnagun is a problem, but Vagnagun is only a problem because there's somebody that wants to use it, and if we can get through to that person, then maybe the entire thing is a non-issue. Yeah, so that's the setup that we get. LeBlanc and her goons uh, storm the ship and and give us the sphere that they found, showing um, uh, Gipple and Nuge. I'm getting that out of order, aren't I? We get the con sphere uh, from Gipple and Nuge, um, and we get information about that stuff. Um, and also Shinra gets called a genius by Gipple, <laughs> um, which Shinra is very happy about. Um, and that's when we kind of resolve that we are going to have to eventually jump into one of the holes into the far plane and help Gipple and Nuge out um, and also get through to Shuyin as well. But we also have to kind of take care of things topside first, which I guess is the game saying like, Hey, you know, once you, once you jump into that hole, there's no coming back. So mm-hmm. take care of some stuff. You know, obviously we're heading into chapter five. This is the last chapter of the game. Uh, we're going to try and resolve as much as we can before we jump down into the plot hole. But, um, <laughs> literal, the literal, plot the hole. literal <laughs> plot hole, <laughs> but, um, it is, it is coming together in a way that, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if it's weird that it comes together this late, um, that we're basically at the end of the game, and now it feels like all these threads are starting to make sense and form an interesting knot of of what Spira has become in two years, and, and in some ways what Spira has always been. Because um, I think one of the points that Yuna makes about how Sin, like, yeah, Sin was a huge problem, but Sin was made because we could never settle our differences. Mm. And it's important that we remember that or we're just going to end up doing the same thing over and over again. And I feel like that's one of the major themes behind 10.2 is that, yes, sin is a problem, but sin was not made in isolation. Sin was made Mm. because we are people who keep doing the same things over and over again. If we don't fix that, then we're only going to keep creating worse calamities for our future generations. And... I think that's a really cool message to have in a game like this coming out of what 10 was and the story that 10 tried to tell um, having this sort of thing that is very uh, understanding of how systemic issues create problems, but then also that we have the ability to make a better system and make Mm -hmm. a better world and, and forge our own path and that the ability to do so is a gift we should not take lightly and that we should make use of while we can is, is really, it's optimistic in a way that I really like. Mm-hmm. I dig it. It's, mm-hmm. I like 10 too, uh, despite all its little, 
little flaws and and many comm sphere problems <laughs> and such uh tensu is a very interesting final fantasy ken how are you feeling about chapter four at the conclusion of it i think like in all of this that we've been talking about i think you were talking about like how it all kind of feels like it's coming together here but i also like i think the reason that that feels maybe surprising is because like what we tend to associate modern open world games and like you know Tensu is not necessarily open world in the way that we maybe know about it now, but like at least in terms of like you not having any restraints on you as to where you can go and what you can do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the, something we tend to associate with modern open world games is like almost like a lack of structure and identity and like a sort of continuity as between everything that's doing. And I think again, like why that feels, why why Tensu feels so significant this many years later is that like it does feel like it has that level of like deliberate design at the at the core of everything it's doing like even when it does you know let you run freely through the world everything that you find and like every like thread that it is throwing out is all coming together for like one really like unified kind of like like you know it feeds into the, the themes of what it's been doing in the main story just as much as it has been in all like these little side stories that you find and so i think in that way you know letting chapter four be the thing that like really solidifies like here's what we're like you know basically like saying into the camera like this is what we're doing with you know this new you know vision we have of, of spira and letting you go into the, you know this last chapter where we're going to kind of like start wrapping up all of these threads and um like you know just like, kind of bringing it home i guess is what it feels like is that we are you know we've established what we want to accomplish with this game in the first four chapters and then this last one we're going to like really you know prove it to you that this is this is what we view this world as now um and i think that, that just feels like refreshing in a way after you know in the, in the decade that has followed or the almost two decades that have followed this point where we tend to associate open structure with a sort of like lack of really like intentional design and care and like you know thematic framing and i think that's that's you know speaks to tend to strength even if it does get into like you know if you get into the minutiae of a lot of it it kind of some of it can get silly and feel arbitrary but the actual underlying philosophy of what it's trying to do feels very consistent mm-hmm. Jenny how, how did you feel about chapter 4 I, I I agree with both of you and everything you've said thus far um, it's been interesting the game as a whole but chapter 4 in particular how timely it feels to be playing mm-hmm. it uh, in a lot of ways and, and that was not something I expected going into the game um, I was just like yeah girl power time it's gonna be fun um <laughs> And, and I think it's it's been interesting just the amount of reflection I've been, I've been able to have just in general while playing this game. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I love, especially about 10.2, is, is going off of what you said about the open world structure and how um, it, it's, even though you have the freedoms, it feels really intentional. I love how it, it does feel a lot like life in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. where it's like, you have a lot of period, uh, periods of time where you feel like, yeah, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. We're we're doing a lot of stuff, but I I don't know, I'm here, you mm-hmm. know. And then in life, at least I feel like I've had moments where all of a sudden I'm like, oh, like this is all of this has kind of led to this point mm-hmm. in my life. And that there there are these ebbs and flows in how we experience time and how we experience growth. And I think mm-hmm. especially going like three into four. Um, we feel that where three is a lot of just like you have so many side quests you have you know you have the dark aeons that you fight but you're also like 
matchmaking monkeys Mm -hmm. and like doing all (laughs) sorts of things where you're just like, I don't know, I guess we're just living life. Um, And it's neat to feel like that ebb and flow of how like actual life can feel Mm -hmm. in this structure of going from three into four and then four, like really helping tie everything together just feels great going into chapter five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like Lulu said in in the column sphere, you know, the smallest changes happen when you're not even noticing them. And, Mm -hmm. and I really do feel like I've been surprised by the way that tend to creates an arc for Yuna without outright saying it i mean there are internal monologues where we kind of get a peek into what she's thinking during times but there are a lot of moments in this game where it feels like yuna has definitely grown as a person from from final fantasy 10 and you can also see the way that the relationship between the the party members between the different uh members of yrp has has grown and and become closer over the course of time i think the the scene we had in chapter three where uh pain was like hey do you want me to tell you about what's going on and you was like no no you you tell me when you want to like mm-hmm. we we have that relationship now where i trust that there's a reason you don't want to talk about it right now and i will be here to listen when you are ready to and then you know we do have that moment in chapter four but it, it is when pain feels ready and there's even like a pause in that conversation where Yuna hands the spheres over and is kind of starting to walk away and that's when Payne decides that like now's the right time right. and I think that's just a very authentic and real feeling and and there's a lot of just little moments that make these characters feel so much more realized and and like they have grown um, into their own characters and also grown relationships between each other that just makes this game feel very um, different than a lot of other RPGs you stumble across that have kind of more rigid approaches to the relationships between party members or, or rely on on kind of tropey storytelling in a way and, and having characters kind of slot into certain ways. And we, we talked during this chapter about how even Tentu can still fall into that in some places, but I, I, I do feel like the central narrative as it comes together really does show that growth that you were talking about and and the way that these characters have changed over time in a really, really cool way. Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy X-2, what a video game. What a video game. We only have one chapter left of, of Final Fantasy X-2. Though that does not mean that we only have one episode left. We have three full episodes mm-hmm. left of Final Fantasy X-2 and all of X's related work. <laughs> which Ken is absolutely thrilled to cover. <laughs> if Normandy FM just suddenly shuts down an episode ahead of the end of the 10 season, you know why. Um, so we do have our next episode will be part one of chapter five, and then part two slash the ending will be the episode after that. And then the third and final episode of the Final Fantasy X season. Oh my God. Final Fantasy we X. All, we made it. Yeah. We're almost wow. done. Yeah, that will cover all of the related works, including Last Mission, uh, 2.5, and Final Fantasy X will. Uh, More like will not. Mm. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) Uh, And then we will get into our Cyberpunk 2077 season, which I'm I'm looking forward to that. What is life if not a bunch of contrasts? 
(laughs) (laughs) As always, we are a retrospective podcast, Normandy FM. If you want to support what we're doing and the way that we comb through these games with a fine tooth comb and get to all the good parts in sequential order, you can head to patreon.com slash Normandy FM and support us there. Uh, Any level will get you into the backer discord where you can hang out and chat with all of our excellent backers there. The next level up gets you these episodes as soon as Ken is done editing them, which means you might be listening to this well ahead of the time that's publishing on the free feed. It is a month away from like the day we're recording this. It is literally a month away from when it's going to go on the public feed. It's, it's very exciting, and you could be listening to this so much sooner if you were backing at that level. And at the highest level, you get your name shouted out every episode of the pod. And this, this episode, that list is just Mercedes Clewis, M- Meredith, huh, I'm so good at speaking for two hours in a row. <laughs> Let me try that list again. Just Mercedes Clewis. Meredith, Micah Manthe, and Shane Erickson, thank you all so much for contributing and helping us do everything that we do. If you don't want it back on the Patreon, that's cool. That's why we have a free feed. As Ken and I have said before, this is not our job. This is something we do on the side. It's a hobby. We like doing it. And the feed is mostly there. The the Patreon's mostly there to cover our hosting costs and to help us out when, say, we need to buy a copy of a game like we've had to do with some in the past or support people that are coming on the show. But if you would like to really help us out in a way that is not monetary, you can review us. You can leave a comment. You can hopefully a five-star review. Five stars only. If it's, <laughs> on not, five, pod- if it's not five stars, I don't want to hear it. On the podcatcher of your choice, uh, what that does is it helps us get the word out. It makes the algorithm like us more, and it puts us in more ears. And that's all we really want is to share more of this and more of our excellent talks with amazing guests like Jenny to more people. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Please plug some stuff. Oh, thanks for having me. I I really, I've talked about, well, the 10 episode, and now I will talk about the 10 too, to (laughs) lots of people, because I had a lot of fun um, doing both of these with y'all. This was a very good Um, good episode. I won't. Yeah. Very cathartic. Um, (laughs) (laughs) If if folks want to find me, um, I am on Twitch and TikTok at Kimchika, K-I-M-C-H-I-C-A, and on Twitter at Kimchika25. And um, I'm a game developer, so I guess if you wanted to check out the game that I'm working on, it's called uh, Spirit Swap Lo-Fi Beats to Match 3-2, and it's just a game that it's so it's pretty and it's lo-fi music, and you've got some dating and uh, yeah, lots of lots of good stuff in it. So um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Thanks again for having me. <laughs> happy to have you on and that game sounds like something that our listenership would absolutely be interested in lo-fi beats dating and puzzles <laughs> honestly <Yes. laughs> checking a lot of boxes for what i imagine the normandy fm listenership is so y'all be sure to support jenny and all the things that she does there and thank you to everyone who listened to everyone who tuned in we will see you next time to start the conclusion of the Final Fantasy X season here on Normandy FM. For Jenny, for Ken, for myself, thank you so much for listening. We'll see you then. Later.